The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. That was my fault. Hey, I am so thankful for these guys in the back that serve um, each week. And so y'all uh, often don't get noticed, and that's a good thing, right? Because you get noticed when bad things happen. But thank you guys for the way that y'all serve each week. Um, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Norris Ferry. I spend most of my time with students and then on the mission field doing mission stuff and coordinating trips. And, um, but I get the privilege to, to preach this morning. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians and we're just walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you're a guest with us, then we'll be in 1 Corinthians for like the next year. And so we're just, we just go verse by verse, section by section, and we walk through a book so that we see what God's message to the church is. And so we would love for you to, to continue to join us with that. Um, we've got a lot of people out, I think, for Labor Day. Um, but thank you guys for being here and, and being guests. Um, I've got my brother up here. If you see someone that looks like me, then it's him. Uh, and so uh, he's here, and uh, we've got just a fun weekend that we got to have over Labor Day. And so we are so glad that you're here with us. So 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing this letter, and we're really still kind of in this intro. And the passage that we're going to look at today that Tracy read for us, I think can be well understood as an explanation of verse 17. And so verse 17 says for this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so he kind of keys up this, well, what does it mean for the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power? How do you empty the cross of Christ of its power? And so what we're going to look at is ways that people have tried to empty the cross, but what Paul is arguing here is, is what's central. What is the cross of Christ? And so throughout history, then I think people have tried to empty the cross of Christ by making it logical, right? That They've tried to make the cross make sense. And what Paul is arguing in this text is the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. It's foolish. The word he actually uses there, he says folly, can be interpreted insanity. It's madness. That the cross of Christ is madness and insanity to the wisdom of the world. And so we're going to look at that and unpack that. But before we start, I just want to put a question in your mind to ask, where does your faith rest? Kind of an interesting question. Where does your faith rest? What is the foundation for your life? What is the foundation for why you do the things you do? Why you make the decisions you make? Why you act the way you act? Why you talk the way you talk? What is the foundation of your faith? Paul is going to work all the way through this text and conclude with the reason he doesn't want to empty the cross of its power is the, because that's where he wants your faith to rest. So that your faith would rest solely on the cross of Christ, which is the power of God to salvation. Let's pray this morning. Lord, would you be gracious to us this morning? Would you meet us? Lord, that as we dive into your word, Lord, that it would come alive. Lord, that it, like the psalmist writes, that it would be sweet to us. God, we pray that it would challenge us in the right places and in the right ways. 
God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see you clearly, that you would give us ears to hear from you, God, and that you would do the work which only you can do in our heart. Lord, that you would, you would expose sin in our life. Lord, you would call us to be more like you, Lord, and that you would transform us to be made into your image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the way that this passage is going to break down is, is number one, we're going to look at the folly of the cross. Number two, we're going to look at the calling of the cross. And then number three, we're going to look at the preaching of the cross. And so we're going to see the folly of the cross, the calling of the cross, and the preaching of the cross in, in this in sections. And so let's jump in. Verse 18 it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Sometimes we grow up in this Christian culture, especially if you're in the South. And it's this Christian culture that we forget the scandal of the cross, right? That we forget that, that the cross of Christ is actually a big scandal to the world. We talk about our Savior being tried as a criminal and hung on a tree as if it's just normal. Like, we talk about it at dinner or lunch. Like, that a man was tried as a criminal, hung on a cross, died, and rose again. Like, it's normal. But the world around us is like, y'all are nuts. Like, that's crazy. So this message that Paul is preaching, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. But what Paul is saying is that, that this folly that the world sees is actually the power of God. That there's these two paths. There's these two perspectives. There's folly and there's the power of God. Have you ever seen those optical illusions, the like old lady, young lady, optical illusion picture where it's like, which one is it? Like, do you see the old lady or do you see the young lady? Or there's these two perspectives. Or maybe you've seen at a halftime show or something, somebody painting and they're painting this big canvas. And you're like, what in the world is that abstract art? Right? And then all of a sudden they spin it. And it's like, oh, now I see it. Now I see what the picture is. And what Paul is, is saying here is that there's these two perspectives for how you can look at the cross. You can either see foolishness, insanity, madness, or you can see the power of God to salvation. Where does your faith rest? The word of the cross is not logical to the world. It really is insanity. It's foolish. It's irrational. It can't just be misunderstood or cleaned up, right? It doesn't make logical sense. If you want the world to think that you're smart and brilliant, let me just tell you one way not to do it. Tell them that you believe in a man that was born of a virgin. I mean, we don't have to go any farther than that, right? It's like the world already thinks you're crazy. I believe in a man that was born of a virgin, that suffered and died after he had lived a completely perfect life, never messed up once, never sinned, never messed up, suffered and died on a cross, was buried for three days, and then rose again. Oh yeah, and by the way, now he's, he's living, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to come back one day. 
and he's going to make everything right. Tell that to the world. And they will be like, you have lost your mind. You're crazy. You're foolish. You've gone mad. We can't just clean up the cross and make it acceptable to the world. And yet, isn't that what we do a lot of times? We don't want to be seen as fools. We don't want to be seen as illogical. We don't want to be seen as, as madness. And yet we empty the cross of its power. The cross is not to be emptied of its power. For those who believe, it's actually the power of God to salvation. It becomes our identity. It's not just something we believe, but it's who we are. That we find our identity in who Christ is and in what he's done. It's the power of God. So let's look at what is Paul saying here about these two perspectives. Verse 18 again, and we'll continue reading. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, he's going to quote Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God is on a mission And those who call the cross foolish, ironically, the Lord will call foolish. That he will destroy the wisdom of the world. That all those who say the cross is foolish, we are wise. The Lord will say, no, 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 no. You're the fool. Your wisdom will perish. Look at the verse. It says, I will destroy the wisdom of the world and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This casts us forward to a day when the Lord is returning, when the Lord will return and come back and he will make all things right. And all people will see truth. They will see what has been hidden and it will be shouted from the rooftops what was done in secret. The Lord is destroying wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is not just another way of looking at the world, but it's diametrically opposed to God. Let me say that again. The wisdom of the world is diametrically opposed to God. They're in contrast. Oil and water, they don't mix. The wisdom of the world is in opposition to God. And so it needs to be nullified. And in this nullifying, the Lord is is making foolish all those who have said the cross of Christ is foolish. Verse 21, as you continue down, actually says that, that this is what pleases the Lord. That this is God's plan. God's plan all along was that human wisdom would not lead you to the cross. But what is human wisdom? Let's let's unpack this. We've got these two oppositions. What is human wisdom? Well, the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of man or human wisdom is all about self. The God of human wisdom is me. It's all about me. Human wisdom says, give me some facts and let me look at everything and I'll determine what's true and false. I'm God. The God of human wisdom says it's all about self-autonomy, self-sufficiency, self-pride, self-authority. It's all about self. I set as God in human wisdom. 
over all authority of the scripture, I set in judgment. Human wisdom is in opposition to the cross. You can't mix them. And it pleased God for it to be this way. Look at 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The know there in this, this verse is, is not talking about that they can't know anything about God. We know from Romans 1 that through creation, God has made himself known to the world. But what it's talking about is that through human wisdom, through human logic, they can't ever come to know the Lord. The world can't. So we go, well, what in the world? Wrapped in this verse is faith. That logic can't get you there. It can't get you all the way. I had this friend, his name was Peter. He was a buddy of mine in high school, and he was like, hey, so if you can just explain, like, Christianity to me in a logical way, like, I'll believe it. And I was like, awesome. Right? So there was this guy, his name was Jesus. He was talked about in the Old Testament. Then he actually showed up. He came. He was born of a virgin, and he lived this perfect life, and he paid the penalty of sins, and like he went to the cross, died a death he didn't deserve to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay, and then he was dead for three days, rose again. He's with the Father in heaven, but he's coming back to make all things right. And he was like, doesn't make sense, bro. I was like, yeah. Like, it makes sense. Let me try again. Right? Like, like there's this guy. His name was Jesus. Lived about 2,000 years ago. Like, perfect. Born of a virgin. It's like, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense to the human mind, to the fleshly mind, to the wisdom of the world. And God designed it that way. If you don't have to have faith, you can't believe in the cross. Human wisdom will never get you to the cross because it's foolish to the human mind. And yet, it's what pleased God that through the folly of the preaching of the cross, that's how he would save those who believe. Look at verse 22. It says, Jews demand a sign. And Greeks seek wisdom, like, well, just show me, just prove it to me, and then I'll believe. You can't. You can't. You can't prove it. We can give reasonable, we can talk about apologetics, but, but I can't prove it to your human mind. I can't prove it to the fleshly mind and fleshly logic. Jews demand a sign, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. You don't have to clean up the cross. It's foolish, and it's a stumbling block. And there are those that, as you explain it, they're like, I love everything about Christianity. If you could just get rid of that Jesus part. Like, Christianity teaches good morals. I love it. But that whole Jesus part, miraculous, like dying on the cross for sins, I just can't go there. It's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. But, look at verse 24, but 
to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's a new perspective. It's the new way of thinking that you see the world in a totally different way that makes no sense to the rest of the world. Your friends are like, you actually believe that stuff? Yeah, makes total sense to me. Doesn't make sense to me. That's exactly what the scripture is saying is going to happen. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That when this again points us forward to the day of Christ's return, that, that when God comes back, the wisest, most esteemed, smartest person in the entire world will be nothing in comparison to the wisdom of God. But that's not what it says. It actually says it will be nothing compared to the foolishness of God. Like, I love where, where the scripture actually gives us a little insight into this. If you read the book of Job, then Job, like, kind of gets to this place where he kind of thinks he's a little bit smart, and he starts questioning God. Like, God, like, I'm pretty smart. Why would you do this? And God actually says, like, stand up like a man, and let me ask you a few questions. And you're like, whoa. And he, he just starts rattling off all this stuff, and he's like, Job, you have no clue what you're talking about. No clue. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And yet man sits in judgment and says the cross is foolish. And it's a stumbling block. And God says, yeah. Because you can't come to the cross with the wisdom of the world. So if, you, if the wisdom of the world will never get you to the cross, then how does anyone actually get to the cross? How did we who have believed actually get there? And that's what Paul answers in this next text is that the calling of the cross through the calling of the cross. That's how we get to the cross, is that that God has called. Well, how has he called? He has called to faith. Look at this. In this passage in chapter 1, then Paul actually uses the word calling four different times. And so it's really important. It's really foundational for what Paul is saying, that, that this calling is so important. So look, verse 26. For consider your calling brothers that they are the called ones, that they had been called. If you look back at verse 2, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. That God calls and the called ones call back. God says, come to me and believe. And the called ones say, save me, Lord. That the called call back. Look again at, Verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. That he calls out to faith. If you look at verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, that they were called, the Lord called out to them. How does he call? Well, he calls through the preaching of the gospel. What does he call them to? He calls them to believe. If you look back at verse 21, then the main sentence, the key sentence in this that has everything piled on is it pleased God to save those who believe. That God has had a plan to redeem and restore a people and a planet for himself. And he does that by calling out to those who would believe. He calls to faith, and he saves those who would believe. Christ calls. 
Well, who does he call? I love it. Paul just unpacks this and he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's like, we're not talking about the gifted class here. I'm like, ouch. Ouch. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. It's not because you're influential in what you can do for God. Like, we've got wise people in this room. We've got powerful people in this room. Like, the intersection out here got done because of some of your all's influence. Like, y'all are wise and powerful people. But God didn't call you because of that. You can't do anything for God. You know, he spoke everything into existence. He doesn't need your influence. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. He's like, yeah. Not, nob- not noble people. You're only just Joe Schmoes. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Not influence, not wisdom, not power, not beauty. God didn't call you because of those things. Look at verse 27. But God chose what's foolish in the world. He chose the foolish stuff to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring about nothing, those that are. I've talked about it before, that God, when he chooses his dodgeball team, he doesn't pick like the rest of us, right? He picks backwards. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God didn't call you because of what you could give to him or your influence or your prestige or your wisdom. He didn't call you because of that. He called you to faith simply because he loves you. So that you might boast in his grace. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When you stand before the Lord, it won't be, hey, I was a so-and-so. I made who's who. You know who makes who's who? Everybody. Right? You ever get that email? You've been selected. God didn't choose you because of that. God called to faith in order that you might be a people of grace for the praise of grace. To point to the cross. God, I had nothing and you saved me. God, I was sinking and you called out and I said, save me. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. I'm going to boast in the Lord. God's calling is not based off of race. It's not based off of ethnicity. It's not based off of education. It's not based off of wealth. It's not based off of background. It's not based off of your success or failure. It's not based off of your own self-righteousness. It's based off of God's grace. What fails to meet the world's standard of wisdom, a crucified Christ is in fact the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. That God would save sinners like me. There is no boasting at the cross of Christ. The wisdom of the world won't get you there. And once you get there, there is no boasting because you understand that it was all grace. So we see the folly of the cross. We see the calling of the cross. But how does God call? We see that no one gets there unless he calls. But how does he call? Well, it's through the preaching of the cross. Paul, in this next section from 2, 1 to 5, he unpacks this, that the cross is the power and should be the locus of our faith, that he calls through the preaching of the gospel. God did not save the world through its own wisdom. There's not a single person that will ever come to Christ because of cleverness or wisdom or intelligence. I oftentimes have this temptation that if I can explain it well enough, someone will believe, right? You ask people why they don't share the gospel, and they're like, well, someone will ask a question that I don't know how to answer. Or I don't know how to explain it well. Or I'm scared, or I'm afraid, or I'm nervous, or... Listen to Paul's words. And, when I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He's like, I didn't come and preach it with like this big words and this profound understanding. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's saying, that's, that's all I talked about. I didn't get into the philosophical arguments of the day. All I wanted to preach was Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I remember the first time that I shared the gospel on my own. I used to go out with a group of students on OU's campus and we would do evangelism and we would use gimmicks and we would use all sorts of stuff to start conversations and every Tuesday we would go out and there was like this there was this camaraderie of like yeah we went out in pairs and we went and did this and but the first time that I ever shared it by myself it's walking to class and you know that awkwardness when you're walking right next to somebody and you don't know them but they keep walking the same pace you do you're like, uh, this is awkward. Do I speed up? Do I slow down? Like, they just keep walking with you. And it was so clear the Lord was like, share. Preach the gospel to him. I was like, huh? Like, I got to get to class. I don't even know this person. This is awkward. It's already awkward. We're walking next to each other. And it was like the Lord wouldn't let them. Like, I'd speed up. They speed up. Slow down. Slow down. And I was like, okay. Hey, anyone ever told you about Jesus? Yeah. That was it. That was all I had. That was it. It's not some profound story like you got saved. Yeah. No, that was it. But you know what? It made a huge impact on my life. This guy's going to think I'm a fool. This guy's going to think I'm crazy. I'm on a university campus. Talking about Jesus. Talking to strangers about Jesus. I don't even know this guy. 
Who does that? What about your coworkers? What about your family member? What about your classmate? Your professor? The grocery store clerk? The bank teller? Who is it that God's calling through the proclamation of the gospel? That it doesn't have to be lofty words? Doesn't have to be with profound wisdom? Can be with weakness and in fear and in much trembling? Has anyone ever told you about the power of the cross? That for anyone who would believe, it's the power of God to salvation not lofty words, that Jesus came to save sinners like me. That he wants to save you. How does the Lord call? It's through the preaching of the gospel. It's through the preaching of the gospel. You don't have to know who's called. That's God's job. You preach the gospel, and I'll tell you this, 100%, God's calling people to himself through faith that they would believe. He's calling them, and he wants to use you. If you've never had the incredible joy of sharing the gospel with someone and seeing the, the lights come on, seeing the painting get flipped over, and the, all of a sudden the world is alive, and they're like, I've never seen the world like this. It's the greatest joy to be used of God all because of grace that God would use us to proclaim this message to save sinners. And God wants to do it through you. Not with lofty words, not with great wisdom. You don't have to know all the answers. Guess what? You can say, that's a great question. I don't know, but I can tell you this, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you from your sins. And you know what? That message right there will save people. That's the power of God. That that message that Jesus Christ is calling you, if you would repent and believe, he will save you today. That's calling. That's what God is doing. That it's not your words. If you can talk them into Jesus, someone else will talk them out. But it's the power of God when God gets a hold of their life, when they experience his power and his forgiveness in their life, there's no going back. There's no changing. God wants to do the impossible. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only things we can do by ourselves. What a pity that we who have been brought from death to life, who have seen the miracle of God take place in our life because of the power of the cross, we live like those who only believe in what we can do on our own. God wants to do miracles through you in taking people from death to life through the proclamation of the gospel. You know that's a miracle, right? Only God can do that. Human logic can't get you there. But God can change people's hearts through the preaching of the cross. 
Let's be a people that proclaim the cross of Christ in word and deed, that we don't empty the cross of its power, but that we proclaim the folly, the foolishness, the madness, the insanity to the world and say, yeah, and Jesus will save you. Let's be those people to our family members, to our friends, to our coworkers, our classmates in Shreveport, in New Orleans, in Panama, in Africa, and to the ends of the earth. God is doing this around the world. And he's doing it through his people, preaching the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to all who would believe. Will you be those people? You see, if it's all based on us, then we aren't those people. But verse 5, Paul says, it wasn't in lofty speech, it wasn't in... Wisdom, it was with weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know that when you proclaim the gospel, when you preach Christ crucified, then God does a work so that their faith wouldn't rest in you their faith would rest in him. Where is your faith? Is it firmly centered on the solid foundation of the cross? Let's live like that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. that awakens in us a passion that stirs us. Lord, that you would stir our emotions, that you would stir our desires, that you would stir our compassion. Lord, that we would love those around us, that we would be confident of the cross, the power of God to salvation for us, but also for the world. Lord, we ask that you would use us. God, our weakness, our frail, our trembling, our, our bumbling words, God, would you use us to call people to yourself, to call them to faith and repentance. Lord, that we might see friends that we've prayed for, friends that we've even thought, there's no way they'll ever come to know you. Family members who have rejected you over and over, Lord, that, that you would give us confidence to share the gospel again. To preach the power of God to them again. Lord, for coworkers and, and friends and teammates, God, would you, through us, call them to yourself. That they would believe. God, that you would start a, an awakening in this city Lord, people who call out to you, who are, who are humbled at the cross to say it's all by grace, to the praise of his grace. Lord, that you would get the glory, that you would have a people who are called by your name for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.